Tonight, we are going to look at the greatest leader who ever lived and his impact that he made and the death that he died and the life that he lived. But before we do that, my handsome assistant, Ricardo, I need the bag, please. Um, Richard is so kind to indulge me in my crazy ideas. So, um, as many of you know who know me, um, I really like to read. And so, I decided to give a raffle tonight of one of my top 10 favorite books ever. Oh, I thought maybe I jiggled it too hard. Um, but I'm trying to be fair, so I'm tossing them around. So, this is a judgment-free zone. So, if you win this book and you're like, I'm never going to read this, Aaron, I'll be honest, you can just put your... Well, cue keeper number, and we'll draw someone else's name. Um, it's okay if you don't like to read. There's no judgment here. But I really want you to read this book because it's really important to me because I really love this book. So not all of you are going to win. There's only one book. So for those of you who don't win and would like to order this book that I highly recommend because it goes along with the theme of what we've been discussing is Telling Yourself the Truth by William Backus. I read this fresh out of college. Um, this one even has a study guide. You can get this on Amazon. $12. I highly recommend it. This has done incredible um, work in my life that God has used. So without further ado, the winner of tonight is 852-626-626. Nobody? Are you here? You must be present to win. Oh, come on down! I won't make you... Oh, that was really loud. You don't have to give a book report or anything, but I hope you like it. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. We can just toss, I'll toss this later. Um, I'll set this down here for now. So we are in the middle of a series. For those of you who haven't been here, I'm going to give a recap. For those of you who have been here, I'm going to give a recap because your mind is filled with all sorts of information all week long. and I am not arrogant enough to think that you remember everything that is said here every week. So um, I'm also fighting a cold, so I have a squeaky, froggy voice. So you just pray I make, I have a praying mother who's praying I'll make it through in some hot water and cough drops. So endure with me, please. Um, so we've been talking about just the lies um, that we encounter each and every day. We have three enemies, as we've talked about. The flesh is the first one that we've talked about. This is kind of the tendency, the sin that remains in us after we choose to follow Christ. We are born with this sinful nature. It's kind of the stubborn, stubborn selfishness, I want what I want kind of mentality that until we breathe our last breath, we are going to fight this battle with the flesh. The other enemy that we fight is the world. This is just the system of beliefs and values that are contrary to God's values. And so this is kind of the ways of culture. We deal with this every single day of our lives. And then the last one is the devil or Satan, or some people just call him the enemy. He's the leader of all that oppose God. Um, so each enemy kind of has a different strategy of attacking us. But tonight we're only going to look at the enemy, this, the Satan aspect of the, of the... Sorry, this thing is really... I feel like Justin Timberlake wannabe, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to try to get used to it. Don't just ignore me and, as I'm trying to get it out of my periphery. Um, so what the enemy does is he plants these, these lies in our minds that are, that are half-truths at best, but they kind of set us in a direction of our life. What that book talks about and what we've talked about each week is that we tend to act out of what we believe. So it's important what we tell ourselves because if we're not telling ourselves the truth, that it impacts our behavior and it really impacts the trajectory of our life. So it's important that when we are believing lies that we recognize them and we know how to fight these lies. 
Peter, one of Jesus' really close friends, gave us this great visual on what it really means to have Satan as our enemy. He talks about how it's not like just like playing around with a little kitty cat. You're not just like hopping onto your lap and you're like, you know, scratching under his chin and meowing at him. And all of a sudden he just like hisses at you or just fight. Oh, are you going to tape it to my... Okay. This is thank you, Enoch. This is a new makeup trick. Um, so just ignore the white piece of tape on my face. Um, thank you, Enoch. Sorry for all, all of this. So Peter, let's get back to Peter. Peter paints this very vivid picture of what the enemy is, of, of who he is and what he is after. In 1 Peter 5, 8, he says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's just not looking to play a game of pickup basketball and beat you by a few shots. He is looking to devour your life. And so we talk about these things. We talk about them for a reason because we really want your life to count for Jesus and to make a greater difference than it could on your own. And so the lies that we've covered, just to do a quick recap, is it's too hard. That lie, it's too hard. And the truth is of Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13, so God gives me the ability to be faithful and to persevere if I rely on him. With Christ's help, I can do all things. And that second lie is, it's not fair. As my father told us over and over again in the Gillum household, life isn't fair. Um, because I was quick to use that when I didn't get what I wanted. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So remind yourself that God is good, that God is in control, and that he won't rip me off. So the lie that we're going to look at tonight is, it's not what I want. I don't know about you, but this lie comes in all sorts of shapes and sizes. I feel like from the moment my alarm goes off in the morning of, I don't want to wake up. I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to do my homework. Um, I don't want to contribute to that group assignment. I don't want to honor my parents. I don't want to follow the law. Like there's all sorts of things. I want to go above the speed limit. All sorts of things that I don't want to do. Because the enemy has planted this lie in us that life is about me and about what I want. That we don't like it when we have to deal with things that we don't want because we think that we deserve not to, right? We want what we want, and we think that what we want is best. At least that's how I think. And I'm sure all of us in this room, to some extent, are dealing with some unwanted circumstances in your life. I mean, I dealt with a lot of unwanted circumstances. I just felt like in this day alone, it was like God knew I was speaking about this topic tonight, and he was giving me opportunities to put into practice what I was learning by studying and preparing for this. Just, just to let you know, this will probably terrify you, but I have to tell you, I have 42 pages worth of notes of research that I did with this. 42 pages. Um, it's because I love research. I changed my topic three times, in my defense. So I have research for three different topics, but we're only going to talk about one tonight. So we will not be here all night. I know you're like, you should have never said that. So, but when I was thinking about this lie of it's not what I want, I thought, you know, oftentimes we see that as like the enemy person is really like our parents. Well, I don't want to do what you say. Or your professor's like, I don't want to work this hard to get the GPA that I need to, to do well. Or your roommates, I don't want to deal with your junk. I don't want to clean up after you. Or maybe your friend's like, I don't want to go there for dinner. Why do we always have to go where you want to go? But ultimately, our issue is with God. 
Because God is the one who gave you those parents. God is the one who gifted you in such a way that he brought you to USC and you have that professor. God is the one that allowed you to meet that guy that you fell in love with that broke your heart. And you're like, God, I never needed to meet him. You could have made it so I never met him and I'm not dealing with this broken heart right now. So tonight, we are going to look at the ultimate example of surrender of Jesus, who oftentimes we don't think of him as someone who ever felt this way. When you think of Jesus, you're like, I'm sure he never felt like he didn't get what he wanted. He was God, but he was fully man. And so we're going to look at an example tonight of if his life, when he really felt this way, it's not what I want God, is there any other way to make it different? Because this is not what I want. So this snapshot that we're looking at, because we're not going to go through all my 42 pages of notes, I promise, is just this brief few hours of Jesus' life at the end of his life. So what has happened is he's just had this celebration with his closest friends, the Passover dinner, and Judas has left the dinner to go betray him. And Jesus goes with his closest followers to the garden to pray because he knows what's next. He knows the crucifixion is what awaits him. So we're going to read this passage. It's 10 verses. And then we're going to, we meaning I am going to um, tell you kind of verse by verse what stands out. So let me drink this and then we'll get started. Okay. Matthew 26, 36 to 46. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Thank you. Um, So the first couple verses. Let's reread those again. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So what we see in these passages, or these couple of sentences, that Jesus was in great need. He was distressed. He was troubled. He was disturbed, in part knowing the physical horror that awaited him. I think that Jesus probably saw crucifixions, you know, they happened around him. And so he was acquainted kind of with the physical suffering that happened during a crucifixion. Jesus was overwhelmed at the situation. You don't tell your friends to, you know, watch and pray unless there's, you know, danger that you're, you're sensing. But more so than the physical horror that he was about to experience, 
It was the spiritual horror that was awaiting him on the cross because Jesus knew that he was going to stand in the place of guilty sinners and receive the full judgment that, the sinner, that we as sinners deserved. He who knew no sin was about to become sin for us. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made him, being Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This whole idea that Jesus would take on sin so that we could be made righteous in God. That was what awaited him. And even the words that Matthew chose, like overwhelmed with sorrow, you know, to us, that's not something that we go around saying very often, but it's almost even a weak translation of what Jesus was feeling. It's like violent emotion or even shock. Like Jesus didn't die a martyr. He willingly went to the cross knowing what awaited him, but he knew that what awaited him was separation from the Father as he took on our sin. So when you wonder if Jesus knows your pain, if he can relate to what has gone on in your day that just seems to have wrecked your world, you can read this passage and know that that he can and that God really hears our prayers. If Jesus prayed and he had full confidence that the Father heard him, we can pray with that same full confidence. So moving on to verse 39, it says, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. He fell to the ground and prayed because Jesus believed that everything was possible with God. He was praying in the same way that you and I would pray. God, you can do this. You can fix this. Is there any other way? He knew that God could change things, that God was able. So he was asking God for help. He was saying, not what I want, but what you want. Jesus can relate to situations that we feel like, this is a helpless situation. This is not what I want. He knew the pain of that, but he also knew what his core mission was and what his life was to be about. So he says this phrase, if it is possible. And of course, since all things are possible with God, like if you grow up in church, if you attend Bible studies, you know that all things are possible with God. Yet there are things that are morally impossible for God. It is morally impossible God to lie. He will not lie. It was not morally possible for God to atone for sin and to redeem humanity without the death of his perfect sinless son on the cross, providing a way for you and I to be reconciled to God. It was not morally possible for God to do that. So that was what Jesus was asking, like, is there any other way? And this idea of like, he says, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. The cup doesn't represent death. In fact, in the Old Testament, the cup is really a powerful picture of the wrath and the judgment of God. So what he's saying is he is about to experience all the wrath and the judgment that we as sinful people deserve, as people who are enemies of God and far away from God. All of that is about to be put on sinless Jesus who knew no sin. He was to become an enemy of God and drank the judgment of God so that we could be made right with God. So all the sin, the past, the present, and the future, Jesus paid for on the cross. He never knew any sin, and yet all of that was heaped on him at the cross. So it was a lot more than just physical suffering. I think for you and I, just the the whole physical suffering on the cross, we would have been begging God for 
way, but the, the horror of the spiritual separation from God was a whole other level that we can't even relate to. But then he says, yet not as I will, but as you will. More than Jesus wanted to be released from the suffering, he wanted to live out the will of his Father, because the most important thing in Jesus' life was to do the will of his Father. You see that again and again when you read the New Testament and the gospel accounts. So for us, like, mm, do typically pray, uh, yes, whatever you will, God, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Mm, maybe I should start playing, praying, like, God, would you help me to want what you want? Because right now, I can't even begin to want what you want. Would you change my heart to want what you want? Because right now, I'm so wrapped up in what I want that I can't even imagine what it would be like to want what you want, to be like Jesus. Because the interesting thing of what happened in Gethsemane is that he drank the cup of God's wrath on Calvary, but he decided once and for all to drink it at Gethsemane, that really the battle was won in large part in Gethsemane. If, if that wouldn't have happened in Gethsemane, then who knows what would have, if it would have happened on the cross, if he would have had the strength to endure what he endured on the cross and after that. So when we move on in this passage, we see there was a great struggle that was going on in the garden, that it wasn't just this like, prayer meeting among friends. There was a spiritual battle that was raging in this garden. So you see in verse 40 and 41, he says, Jesus goes away from his disciples and he goes back to them. He returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So Jesus had only been gone an hour. Like to stay awake and pray for an hour, it doesn't seem that hard for us, right? But these men were super, super tired. And in what we see in this, in, in times of intense struggle, that just our human nature is just prone to the easy way to take away around the struggle. That none of us are like, oh yeah, I'm hoping just to charge straight ahead into the struggle. Excuse me. So you see that, that Jesus really desired that his friends would be with him in the struggle. I kind of know about you, but when you've had a, a hard day and you just want to know that someone's with you, that they're on your team, that you've got your back, like, that's what Jesus wanted to the hundredth degree, and that's not what happened. His closest friends weren't there when he needed them, but that God was, that his father was the only one that he could turn to. So when, you, when you're hurting and you're struggling, you think no one understands, not even these friends, you can always know that God is with you, that he understands what you're going through, and that he wants to help you. And so if you feel lonely. I mean, there are many days when I'm like, I just feel incredibly lonely, like no one understands. You can know that Jesus experienced loneliness to agree that we never will, and that he gets that longing and that hurt of loneliness, and you can run to him, and that Jesus endured loneliness so that we would ha could have unbroken fellowship with God, that he endured that for us so that we could know and live in communion with God. So he asks them, he said, couldn't you just watch and pray with me so that you won't fall into temptation? I don't know how many of you were here in the fall when I spoke about Peter, but right after this, just, you know, in the, the subsequent hours of the story, Peter denies Christ three times. Jesus knew that's what awaited him, and so that's why he was encouraging. Peter, just watch and pray. You need this. Trust me. I know what is about to happen. We don't know what would have happened if Peter would have woke up spiritually and physically if he would have denied Christ. Like, 
we'll never know. That's a story that, that is not going to be told. Um, but that Jesus had found victory by watching and praying, by spending time with God before the crisis happened. And that we can learn that for ourselves as well, that the spiritual battle is often won before the crisis is, happens. And there's going to be small things along the way. Like sometimes this idea of like, it's not what I want seems kind of small and benign. But if we will learn to surrender and to go to God in these times when it just seems like not a big deal, we'll build a habit and a reflex so that when it is a bigger deal, when the crisis does happen, we just know that that's what we need to do is we need to run to God. We need to fall on our face before him and we need to ask for his will to be done and surrender our will. We need to learn from his example. So if we learn to do this day to day in the smaller things, it will really prepares for greater success in the bigger things. So we move on to verse 42. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. It's really interesting. I don't know if you noticed the shift here. The second and the third request shift from if it is possible to if it is not possible. So Jesus realized that the answer was no. It was not possible. There was no other way for us to be made right with God except for him to die on the cross. And through prayer, God confirms his will to us as well. He invites us to know him through prayer and to know his will through prayer. And then when we decide, okay, God, this is not what I wanted my life to look like. You know, some of you have had really hard lives. You have had diagnoses. You have stood over caskets. You have heard the bad news. You have experienced tremendous loss. You know those days. Others of you maybe haven't experienced that degree of loss, but life is really hard. And there's going to be times when you think, this is not what I want. God, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't want this class on suffering. I, can I opt out? And can I get a W and take it another time, another semester? And God says, you know, Aaron, the best time for you to learn this is now. But if you don't choose to learn this now, you will learn another time. It'll be even more painful the next time. So learn it now. This is an invitation. He doesn't force me to learn it, but he invites me to cooperate with him and to choose his will over mine. Because again and again, what you learn is that there's so much that God does in our life through suffering, things, things we don't understand. When we surrender, okay, not what I want, but what you want, because his story is bigger than we could ever write on our own. So then as we move on in verses 43 and 44, he came back again to them, and he found them sleeping again because their eyes were heavy. I think some of you maybe have some heavy eyes tonight as well. It's been a long week. It's Thursday. It's okay. I'm not offended. <laughs> So he left them and went away once more, and he prayed the third time, saying the same thing. I find so much encouragement that he said the same thing. I don't know about you, but there are things that I have asked God for repeatedly again and again. And you see Jesus' example here. It's okay to keep going back to God. God, my heart is still not in this. I still do not want this. Will you help me to want what you want? Again and again, we can go back to God. It, you don't, like, run out of tokens. He doesn't say, like, hey, you've asked too many times. I'm kind of sick of hearing your voice on the line. No, there's never a busy signal. He invites us to come again and again. It's not unspiritual to ask for things more than once and to align our lives, our hearts with his. Sometimes it takes a lot of effort and time. Verse 45 and 46. Then he said to the disciples, no, then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the son of man is delivered into the of sinners. Arise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. 
rise, let us go, looks very different than being overwhelmed and full of sorrow and troubled and distressed, doesn't it? Very, very different. Because after that third time that Jesus prayed, he was ready for what lay ahead. Jesus knew what awaited him, that Judas was coming, and so are those other men, and that he was about to experience excruciating pain, pain beyond what we could ever imagine. But he was in complete control of those events. Judas wasn't. Those other men were not. Jesus knew what was going to happen, and he was on board with what God wanted to do. He did not die a martyr. He died willingly. And so in the midst of Jesus' prayer, we see something happen. We see the struggle that changed into confidence. In the face of his betrayer, he walked right up to him. He didn't try to circumvent or go around or say, you know, I'll come back tomorrow morning or, you know, try to negotiate anything away. But he had full confidence in the Father's plan. was fully aligned that way. So what I'd like for you guys, my prayer for you tonight, and what I feel like God is trying to teach me, is prayer is not convincing God that my way is best. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but I'll make these prayer lists, and I'm praying in this way. This is what I want to see God do. But that's not prayer. Prayer is not convincing God that my way is best. Prayer is aligning our thoughts with his. Because out of love for us, God sacrificed the fellowship of the Trinity so that we could be reconciled to God. That a tremendous battle was raged, and there were souls at stake. And so what you see in the story of Jesus is this man who experienced intense need. He was about to experience something he did not want to experience. Greater than any midterm you're going to face, anything this semester, any group project that you're like, I do not like these people. I do not want to be with these people. Save me. Um, Jesus prayed a desperate prayer. And in this prayer and request, something changed. But what you see change is different than I think how we often pray. We pray for the outcome to change. Fix it, God. Make them go away. May they transfer schools. (laughs) May something happen to not one of their siblings, but an animal back home and they have to go take care. Like, just get them out of my life. I'm tired of dealing with them. Or whatever it may be in your life. You know, your health. Like, I don't know what it is. But there are unwanted circumstances in every single one of our lives. That's just the nature of what God is doing. He's growing us through these unwanted circumstances. But the outcome didn't change, right? Jesus still went to the cross. He still died and rose again three days later. But we need to start praying for strength rather than praying for the outcome to change. Because what if, what if God's priority is less about the outcome and more about changing you and changing me? What if God's priority is less about the outcome and more about changing you and me? Because what if God's greatest work happens when we pray? That he leads me to a better life, a life that is more like Jesus, a life more conformed to the image of Jesus. What if that is the result and not the result is that my life is easier. I find a parking place faster. I don't have to walk as far. It doesn't rain. I don't get wet. These outcomes that we so want God to change, but what if it's about me and changing me and making me more like Jesus? Because prayer is one of his primary avenues of changing us. God does things through prayer that he doesn't do any other way. He invites us to ask him, to keep on asking, to knock, keep on knocking, to seek, keep on seeking. That God works, and he is so interested in changing us and making us like his son. 
So prayer really becomes this discipline of surrender. That's what we see in the life of Jesus, that the one who designed us and who put us together, who knows our strengths and our weaknesses, he knows what's best for us. But we don't have to live our life saying, it's not what I want because I know what's best, and actually I deserve this because I've worked hard, and I don't think that I deserve this kind of outcome, God. But really we see surrender and prayer is how God transforms us. You see that Jesus changed, that he went from this intense struggle to this position of incredible strength, moving forward to a destiny which impacted the rest of mankind forevermore. This is a quote that I cannot take credit for, but I thought it was really good. I'll repeat it so you can write it down because this is really, really good. Um, Surrender to God is an acquisition of strength, not a sign of weakness. Surrender to God is an acquisition of strength, not a sign of weakness. I think if we could really grasp that, then our prayer lives would look very different. If we really grasp that not my will, but your will be done, that I'm going to surrender what I want to what you want to live life how you want me to live rather than the idea that I have about how my life should work, our lives would be very different. Because surrender really is about trust. God, do I trust you enough that the plan that you have for my life, that the story you're having, you're writing in my life is good? It may not be the story that I thought that we were writing together because I kind of thought we were co-authors. He's like, no, no, I'm the author and you get to be a participant in the story that he's writing about himself. He's the star, not me. You know, you watch those movies like La La Land. You're like, I want to be, I want my name in lights. I want to be a barista, and then I'll be famous, and I'll look like Emma Stone too. You know, it's like, it's not the way life works. That's not the story God has written in my life. I do not have red hair. Um, That's the only thing that separates me and Emma Stone. Um, I think right now I have kind of a deep voice like Emma. Um, So back to surrender, that surrender really is the key that unlocks God's purpose for your life, that apart from surrender, you cannot live God's purpose for your life. Without surrendering, you really live your life, not the life that God has for you. Because when you realize that surrender is the key to unlock God's purpose for your life, you see, it was for Jesus, and it is for you and for me. Because I'm tempted, and I think you are too, to take the shortcut. I mean, who at the gym is like, oh, let's double count these, or, you know, nobody else is really watching, or kind of moving. I, sometimes I adjust the weight a little bit, like, oh, okay. Um, and, then, and then I adjust it back for the person after me, so they think that I did a lot more. Because it's shortcut, right? I'm trying to impress other people. We don't want to hurt, you know, physically. We don't want to grieve. Who wants to sign me up for grieving for a year? You know, I'll take a course on that. Once I I'll probably fail miserably and have to retake it later. No, look, life is hard. Life is really hard. But if we don't learn to go to God, struggle, then it's even harder. Then we walk through it alone. So our prayer needs to be like what Jesus prayed. You know, God, all things are possible with you, but not what I want, what you want. You see the bigger picture. I see myself as the star of the show, but you're trying to make me more like Jesus and not more like a Hollywood movie. So what really hangs in the balance if we choose to live with a lie of, it's not what I want? Because all day, I can't tell you how many emails and phone calls I've gotten this week, and I was like, it is not what I want. And if I was like a violent person, or maybe in a movie, I'd throw them the phone and be like, it's not what I want. That's what I wanted to do, but I didn't. Um, <laughs> because I am mature. And I was like, okay, God, I get it. I get to speak on this this week, and you're growing this into me again and again. 
So the things that hang in the balance, I feel like number one, living the purpose God has for you. Living the purpose God has for you. Because apart from him, your purpose is really small. Remember, you're the star and not him. And so it ends up being just a small little life all about you. Another thing that hangs in the balance are healthy relationships. Because who really wants to be friends with or married to or parented by someone who thinks that life is all about them and they know what's best and and they deserve it? That's kind of a really hard way to live. It's an isolating way to live. And so when life is all about us and what we want, our friendships really suffer and familial relationships and all relationships in general. And the last thing is a shallow relationship with God. Because what kind of depth of relationship with God could you have if he just exists to do your bidding? That's not God. And so he invites you to surrender to the one who, knew, who knows you and created you and loves you, who knows what's best. So how do you practically combat this lie? Because, I mean, I wish I could say I, have, I graduated from this, but after this week, I feel like I'm going to have another week next week because I just really need to get this into my life. This has been a hard lesson for me to to live out this week. So how do you resist and replace this? It's not what I want. I think you follow Jesus' example all the way. The first thing is turn to God. If you need to fall on your face before him, whatever position you need to get in before him, and just fall on your face towards God. Turn to God and to own how you feel. You saw Jesus not pretending. I mean, He was troubled. He was distressed. So own it and recognize, God, I am believing the lie that life is all about me, and I'm not getting what I want. I'm frustrated. I would really like to disconnect from the whole world right now because I want somebody to be like, it is about you. What what can I, would you like Starbucks? What would you like? What would make your day better? That's not how life works. And so turning to God, own how I feel, recognizing the lie, and then ask him to change me recognizing that he is big and he is able and take some time to really think about how huge God is and that he has made a way for you to know him, that he knows the stars by name, that they're the grain of sand on the earth, like nothing escapes his notice and he invites you to know him. So remind yourself how able he is and then ask him, God, would you change my attitude? I really don't want to do this right now. Or would you change my heart? Would you change my thoughts? This is not what I want. Help me to want what you want. Because right now, I don't even want that. And then the second thing is, ask others to pray too. You know, you saw Jesus asking his really close friends, like, could you pray with me, Peter, James, and John? He was honest with them. Be honest with your friends about how you're feeling and ask them to pray for you. You can pray with them right then or just say, you know, when you meet with God regularly, would you just pray for this situation in my life? That's what Jesus did. Jesus went to God. You... I mean, we also have the opportunity to go to God, but um, also going to people who are older and wiser than you who also have struggled and can say, here's some perspective here you can think through, maybe read this passage, get some input from people who are a little older and farther along, who have struggled and who have dealt with a lot of, it's not what I want in life. And the last thing is to surrender. In Matthew 26, 39, it says, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, make this cup May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Do you refuse to accept hard things from God as his will and therefore waste your suffering? I don't know about you, but I don't want to waste my suffering. I want to learn it the first time because it's hard enough the first time. 
I want to invite God into the messy and the yucky and the hard and the impossible and watch him do what only he can do. So in humility, we each have the opportunity to go to him and to ask for his help, to change us, knowing that he may change the outcome, and that would be great. But if he doesn't change the outcome, if the diagnosis is the same, if the situation with your family doesn't change, that he is still God, and he is in control, and he can change you. He can change the situation, but he's decided not to because that's what he is doing. He's accomplishing something so much bigger than what you or I can see at the time. So the key really is surrender, to surrender that I don't know it all and what I want may not be what's best and that I don't deserve everything that I think I want. Thank goodness we don't get what we always want. Isn't that good? I can't tell you where I would be now if I got everything that I want. I would probably be dead. Um, So the key really is to surrender. So when you're tempted, like, because tomorrow morning, that alarm is good. I don't, some of you don't have Friday classes, so you may not set your alarm. I will set my alarm, and trust me, this is what I'll be thinking. No, it's not what I want. Turn to God. He can give you the strength to pull the covers, get out of bed, and face the unwanted circumstance of Friday. Thankfully, he knows what's going to come. I don't know. I'm hoping for sunshine. I think it's going to rain, but... (laughs) Sunshine and blue skies and just no traffic, just a glorious L.A. day. But that's in the movies because God is refining my character through waiting and through hoping and through dealing with things that I don't want to deal with because he is committed to making me like his son, just like he's committed to making you as well. So let me pray, and then we'll invite back up the worship team. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are God of the impossible. And thank you for your son, Jesus, who you sent so that we could know you, the suffering Savior who was born to die, who made a way for us to be reconciled to you. We are a hopeless, helpless people without you. So, Father, I do just ask that you would remind us when these lies come into our mind that it's not what I want, it's too hard, it's not fair, I'm too tired, that we would really access the strength that you provide, that we would pray for strength, that we would pray that your will would be done above our own, and that we would trust you with the outcome, that in surrender we would truly live, that we would acquire your strength as only as possible when we give up on our own. So thank you that you promise to use the struggle for good. Thank you for what was accomplished on the cross when everything seemed hopeless, that you were actually making a way for us to know you. May you fill our hearts with that hope. King Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.